Today, I want to talk to you about active Bible reading. This could very well be your missing piece for a good and enjoyable time in God's Word. Let's talk about it. Hey friends, welcome to episode number 48 of the Better Bible Reading Podcast. Kevin Morris here with you, pleased to spend some time with you talking about one of the most important things, I think, when it comes to reading our Bibles, and that is what is called active Bible reading. Some episodes ago, I mentioned that we are going to really try to wrap our heads around different Bible reading methods this year. And that's because I want you to have a good year of reading the Bible. I want you to enjoy it. I want you to grow. I want it to be your absolute best year so far that you've spent in God's Word. And that's why ever since the start of January, I've been releasing episodes that are tailored to this very topic. We've talked about Bible reading distractions we have to eliminate. We've talked about choosing the right kind of Bible. We've even talked about Bible reading plans. I released my own Bible reading plan that I'm trying to accomplish for the year 2020. And you can see that continual theme that's been happening ever since the beginning of January. Here we are pushing right on through almost springtime now. It's hard to believe. And I want to talk to you about something that I've mentioned on various different episodes, various different articles, but it's something that is so, so important and something that many of us miss, probably because we just don't know really how to implement it, really how to get started with it. And that is, as I've already said, active Bible reading. Now, the reason I think this is your missing piece is because this is a very specific and very purposeful method of reading the Bible, and it's one that, frankly, many of us just don't do. It's a method that is really supplemental to the other ways that we read the Bible, those other familiar ways that we read the Bible. So what I want to do today, very straightforward, is to give you three different ways that active Bible reading can take place, that it should be taking place in your life, and help you start doing this. So one way that we could really tackle active Bible reading is to think about it as kind of the way we think about supplements. So in terms of like a diet, for instance, supplements come into play because we don't want to be too out of balance in what we're eating. But if you're like me, if you live in the United States, you'll know that sometimes we're not necessarily the best at kind of looking at that that food pyramid that we've all had to stare at for years and years uh, while we were in school and making sure that we have a balanced diet. We're probably really high on on the bread, really high on the meat, and then all the other stuff just kind of goes out the window. So people go to the store, they get supplements. Sometimes they change their diet, but probably not all that many people do. They just go for the supplements, go for the vitamins, and try to balance out what is not present in their diet. And There is a bit of analogy here when it comes to reading the Bible. We should think about Bible reading as supplemental. You don't want to read the Bible the same way each and every time that you pick it up and read it, not because that way is bad, but because God has 
given us ways that we can, as humans, as human beings, kind of retain what he's telling us, what he's revealing to us in his word. And that is where different Bible reading methods come into play. Let's say that you really like one particular version of the Bible and one kind of format uh, that you read the Bible. Well, that's good, but just like a normal diet, you wouldn't want to eat only one thing. As good as that thing might be, you're missing out on other key elements, other key vitamins that are essential for a healthy body. The same way, when it comes to reading our Bibles, we don't want to focus all on one way. We want to kind of have a nice balance and a nice supplement supplementation of different ways of reading the Bible. Let's use another analogy. Let's think about the analogy of supplemental income. I'm One of the other things that I really like to study is uh, business owners and kind of financial things, money management, work-life balance. Those kind of topics are really interesting to me. And so I listen to other podcasts, books, articles, And one of the points that's made with supplemental income is this. You don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. You don't want to focus solely on this one job that you have as your only source of income because what happens if you get laid off on that job? Well, suddenly you're scrambling trying to figure out how you're going to pay your bills. Well, let's say you're a business owner. You're not going to get laid off because you are the owner of the business and you're not going to fire yourself. But what if it's some kind of physically demanding job where you get injured and suddenly you can't perform. You have to look elsewhere. And that's where supplemental income comes into play. You have your eggs in various baskets. And so you want to have your Bible reading eggs, if we can say that, in different baskets. You don't want to have them all in the same one. Now, one thing that I really try to harp on a lot on this podcast is the idea of elimination. In fact, in previous episodes, I've talked about eliminating distractions, eliminating bad reading practices, eliminating things that are going to get in your way. But the name of the game is not only elimination. The name of the game is also addition. We want to bring in things that are good, take out what's bad, throw away what doesn't work, throw away what gets in the way. But we want to also look to things that are a helpful addition or a supplement to what we're trying to do. And this is active Bible reading. If I could summarize it in one sentence, it would be this. Reading your Bible with a pen in hand. Now, you can do a little bit of sifting here for the technological age in which we live. You're currently listening to this with your ears in audio format I'm not writing you a letter and mailing it to you for you to read what it is I'm saying. In the same way, while I am going to actually encourage you to write with an actual pen, you can, I suppose, substitute the idea of writing with a pen in hand to writing with a keyboard in front of you, especially if you're a a big note taker on different types of acts apps and productivity things that you can have on your computer. That's all well and good, but sometimes that kind of gets into the realm of distractions. So we certainly want to be careful with that. Now, all that to say this, active reading can happen as a mental exercise. In fact, active reading should be happening every single time we read the Bible. 
But the point here is that when we're reading with a pen in hand, those thoughts, that mental exercise of active reading has a way that it can be captured and harnessed and saved, documented, archived. That's what the name of the game here is in active Bible reading. So I want to give you three ways that you can do this, and I'll explain them all, and hopefully really grab your attention, really get you thinking, and really get you excited about putting all of these, or at least one of them, into play in your personal life of Bible reading. So here we go. Number one is wide margin note-taking. Now, maybe you're hearing me say this and you're thinking, okay, I've already heard you talk about this several times this year. Well, good, because I'm trying to really drive the point home. Simply put, this is when we're asking questions of the text in our heads as we're reading, and then we're answering those questions according to what the text says. That's it. That's as simple as that. So, for example, let's just be extremely basic here. John 3.16. You read the text, you're asking questions in your mind about it, and then you're answering them based on what is said, based on what is revealed in that passage. And you're writing these down, not on some kind of notepad scattered around somewhere. You're not just asking it in your head and then hoping that you remember to think about it later on, but you're actually, literally, really writing it down on the pages of Scripture next to the text. Now, you might not be able to do this because you might not have a wide-margin Bible. So get a wide-margin Bible. These are very accessible. I talked about this in my Bible reading plan. This is one of the Bibles I'm using. I've talked about it as well um, in other episodes. Wide-margin Bibles. ESV makes one. The New American Standard Bible makes one. You can probably find them in just about any translation nowadays. Do an Amazon search, get a wide margin Bible, and you will have access to a very, very easy, accessible way to write down notes alongside the passages of Scripture that you're reading. And this is an active exercise. This is one way of active Bible reading. Now, if you don't want to get a wide margin Bible, you can also get what is virtually the same thing, and that is journaling Bibles. And this is like I said, just about the same thing as a wide margin Bible. The only difference is you're going to actually have lines that you can write on instead of just a blank margin for space. I prefer no lines, but either way, the point is being able to write right there on the pages of Scripture so that, number one, whenever you're carrying it around, you don't have to carry around five different books for all your journals and prayer diaries, all these kind of things. You just have it right there. Just as long as you have the Bible, you also have where you're capturing your notes. So here's what we're doing when we're using a wide margin Bible and taking notes. We're coming to conclusions based on and gained from the Bible itself. Now, these could be doctrinal. They can be applicational. They can talk about the structure of the text. For example, John 3.16 is a very important verse but it is directly connected to John 3.15 and John 3.17. That's getting into the structure of the text, so you can write notes about that, how this verse relates to that verse, and vice versa. You can also take notes based on cross-reference verses. Another example in John 3.16, 
John is talking about how God loves the world and what he's done. Well, another place that he talks about that is in 1 John, when he actually defines what God's love is. So you can make that connection. You can even write it there in the margin. This is virtually the same as 1 John, and you can make notes and start building notes in that way. There's a lot of different ways that we can use the space for notes in wide margin Bibles, and they're extremely helpful to us when we're reading because we're staying tethered to the text. We're not reading it and then immediately forgetting what we're reading because we're just going about our day. We're actually spending time engaging without having to have all kinds of software and all kinds of external books in addition to the Bible in front of us. We got it all right there. We're thinking, we're engaged, we're active. We're actively reading the Bible. And as I said, this really should be done all the time mentally, but when we're doing it right in front of us with a pen in our hand and a wide margin there on the pages of Scripture, again, we're able to capture our thoughts. We're able to stay tethered to the line of thought that's right there in front of us. And since these are notes, don't feel overwhelmed to think that you got to write paragraphs and just this long synopsis on the entire page. Just keep it brief. You're not going for paragraphs. You're not even going for several sentences. You're just going for even phrases, even just brief um, kind of insights from that particular verse or that particular section. And what you're going to be able to do when you close your Bible, when you're done doing this for the day, and then open it up the next day, guess what? Your notes are still there. What you were thinking, where you were at mentally with the text, it's still right there. You've captured it. And so you're able to pick up where you left off the following day, the following weeks when you're reading, instead of saying, man, I really enjoyed that study I did in John, but I I really can't remember what I was thinking. I just remember I liked it, but I don't have any way to kind of retain that or kind of access it again. Well, you can when you're doing wide margin Bible note-taking. So there you go. There's number one. Number two is what I would call creating a personal commentary. And this one is, just to be frank with you, a little bit overwhelming for a lot of people. Probably one of the reasons is because when you think about trying to tackle that first option, taking notes, you're not worried about paragraphs, you're not worried about this long kind of explanation of the text, then you can kind of handle that well enough. But when you start going into the idea of writing a commentary on an entire book of the Bible, that sounds totally overwhelming. And it sounds, if we can be honest, a bit arrogant because, you know, most of us are just simple everyday Christians. And that's not to be understood in a derogatory way, but what it means is we're not in the academic Christian world. We're not the ones that are writing the books. We're the ones that are reading the books or at least trying to. So the idea that we're going to start writing them ourselves sounds a bit arrogant, but one encouragement that I want to say is emphasis on the word personal. Now, I'm not saying that you should never share these unless you have a PhD, but what I am saying is this is for your own good. This is for personal devotion, study, and growth in holiness as a Christian, as a child of God. So anything that is going to lend itself to helping us along that path is worth our time and worth our investment. Even if nobody else in the entire world ever sees anything that we wrote, the point is to do it for your benefit. 
So really, it's kind of an approach similar to the first option, but we're furthering it along. We're expanding it. We're going into a lot more depth here. And one of the ways that you can do this is just by starting a personal commentary on an entire book of the Bible. Now, I've been doing this since 2011, and I was basically fresh out of high school at that time. I had just began to read the Bible cover to cover on a yearly basis, and I decided that it would be worth my time to start journaling through books of the Bible as I studied them, not just highlighting on the text itself, but actually going to the trouble of finding a notepad that I could actually have reserved for that study of that book of the Bible. So I can say in nine years of doing this that it is one of the most valuable things in my own life of Bible reading. One of the reasons for that is because it's allowed me to retain so much of the knowledge of the Bible that I have. Now, it certainly happened by reading, but that additional element of writing in response to the reading, I think, mentally speaking, really seals it in my head and gives me a point of reference and gives me a memory bank to refer to. So I want to encourage you to do this, but really you can start as small as you want. Why don't, even as an example, start with a book like Jude or like Second John or Third John that only have one chapter or Philemon in the New Testament. These books only have one chapter. They're small, so they're not overwhelming to start working your way through. And you can spend time reading each and every verse and then commenting, writing your kind of response of what you've learned from it on each and every verse. It's, again, we're taking what we're doing in the first option of wide margin note taking, and we're expanding it to having something to say about each and every verse. Now, when I started doing this, one of the things that was interesting to realize is how much more I would start to write after each and every year of doing this. The first book that I ever did this with was the Gospel of Matthew, so it's a big book, and I think I was commenting on sections. I wasn't really dealing with each and every verse, but I was commenting on the sections, and I was able to get that all consolidated into one kind of little journaling leather-bound book, pretty small. But through the years, I have really learned that as I do this more and more, I have more and more to say. And one of the ones that I'm working through right now is the Gospel of Mark. I've actually been working through this for a couple years now, and I don't do it every day, so don't think that it's that kind of a thing. Uh, but I've been working on it for a few years, and I've already gone through two volumes of um, notepads, and I'm still going strong. And that kind of is a, a hint, or at least uh, an insight, that the more we do this, the more comfortable we get, the more we start thinking about other scripture passages, the more we have to say. And then suddenly it becomes much more understandable of why people who write commentaries on books of the Bible are writing commentaries that are about five times the length of the actual book that they're commenting on. It's not because they think they have more to say than the than the book itself, but it's because there's such a wealth of knowledge, such a wealth of insight when we read God's Word that we don't even know how to stop talking about it. So I think that's a really helpful thing 
and something that you should aim towards. Start with a short book if you want to, or start with a large book, but just either way, you should really try to do this. And if you want to do it on a keyboard, on a, on a Word document or whatever, that's totally fine. Um, because one of the things that I'm doing right now is I'm trying to convert what I've written by hand to Word documents, and I'm kind of frustrated at myself for not doing it on the computer to begin with. But sometimes for me, the flow of thought is a lot easier when I have a notepad and a pen in front of me instead of a keyboard, because what's also on that keyboard is quick access to Facebook and all the other things that distract me. So whatever way works best for you, keep in mind the idea of eliminating distractions which we talked about several episodes ago back in January 16th. And keep that in mind as you're doing this. Just be mindful of that. But the point is, start writing a personal commentary on one of the books of the Bible. You have 66 to choose from. You can't go wrong with any of them. And you'll be surprised of how much you retain as you do this. Number three, this one is one that I've only thought about here recently, uh, but it's one that I've actually been doing for quite a while. It just didn't really occur to me that this was a form of active reading. So I'd like to share it with you and tell you that regardless of who you are, this is one that you can actually implement yourself. And this is creating a sermon or class outline on a passage of Scripture. Now, the reason that this is helpful is because it forces you to think in terms of reading comprehension. I mean, pastors and teachers that make outlines for their own uh, lessons and sermons that they're going to be sharing with their people are going to be well acquainted with this method uh, because this is what they do all the time. They're outlining passages of Scripture, they're summarizing the text, and then they're putting it together in kind of a presentation form in a digestible way for the people they're teaching. Now, maybe you're not a pastor, and maybe you're not a teacher regularly in some kind of capacity of God's Word, but that doesn't mean that you can't do this. In fact, I'm going to assume that most of you listening to this are not pastors or Bible teachers, and really this is all the more emphasis on your part to start doing this, even if you're not teaching anyone God's Word. And the reason for that is because when you take up this approach to studying the Bible, to reading the Bible, what it forces you to do is to assume the role of teacher. Now, what I mean by that is the way that you approach the text mentally. So, suppose that you're reading John 3.16. Let's just be a little more broad. Suppose you're reading John chapter 3, and you want to be an active reader, and maybe you've done the wide margin note-taking method before, maybe you've even done the commentary method, maybe you've been commenting through the Gospel of John, but you want to figure out another way that you can be active in your reading. And what you would do, if you're going to do this third option, is you would read the passage, and then you would create a sermon or a class outline on that passage. Now, when you do this, it's going to be very helpful to you because when you take up that role mentally, it's going to force you to start saying, okay, what are the main takeaways in this passage? If I were teaching this, what would be the main idea that I would want to convey to the people that I'm teaching? And like I said, you take up the same approach that a pastor or teacher would when they approach the text. 
They're going to summarize it. They're going to touch on the the main takeaways of that text, and they're going to present it or follow some kind of a flow to it that is in teaching form or digestible form for the people that they are teaching. Try to do that. In fact, that's really a helpful thing that that I do when I'm recording podcast episodes, for instance. I'm trying to have that visual image of the person listening to this, and I'm trying to think, okay, if I were giving this episode to this person or to this person, how would I say it? How would I try to communicate it? Same kind of thing when you're reading the Bible. So while you're doing this for your own benefit, while you might not necessarily be somebody that teaches or preaches, you can still do this because what it's going to allow you to do is your due diligence with the passage. When you're thinking about not just your own benefit of reading it, but when you start having the the pressure or the burden of, I have to teach this to somebody, it makes it a little bit more important, a little bit more, a little more initiative on our part to make sure that we understand what it is we're reading so that we can then turn around and teach it to others. That's what you're doing when you're taking the active reading approach of creating a sermon or a class outline. Remember, this is for your own benefit, but it's going to inevitably force you to start asking questions of the text that you might not be thinking about when it's just you alone in your bedroom reading the Bible. And I think that this will be a really helpful way for you to engage the passage of Scripture in a very active way, and one that I think will maybe even start showing you as you do this more and more and maybe start sharing it with others, kind of begin an organic Bible study. Or if you're tethered to your local church, and I hope that you are, maybe it will start to investigate potential gifts of teaching that you have if you haven't been investigating those before. I think this would be helpful for you in many different ways. All right, so there are the three ways of active reading, but I want to actually share with you a bonus takeaway from this. And that is this, that all three of these methods really lend us an incredible amount of ammunition for prayer. Now, this is something that we tend to not think about. Well, let me ask you this. When is the last time your prayer life was directly connected to the passages you were reading in God's Word? And I'm not talking about just that you were at church on Sunday and you all as a congregation prayed before or prayed after the sermon text. What I'm talking about is actually your own personal prayer life in your own personal life of Bible reading, how well connected are those two aspects of your Christian life? And I say this to myself as well. We should be making all um, diligence on our part to make sure that we're not only reading, but we're also praying. And we should do even more well to make sure that those two aspects of our lives are connected, they relate. We're not only reading John 3.16, but we're praying about it. We're praying for ourselves how our lives relate to that passage, how we're living in response in light of that passage, what God has graciously and kindly taught us about himself 
from that passage of what impact it has on us as a result. Active Bible reading should lend itself to prayer, should lend itself to even more prayer. And the way that it's ammunition for our prayers, because you can take your mental takeaways from the text, that's your wide margin note taking, your personal commentary, and your outline that you've been writing, and all of the points that you've been making, all of the takeaways that you've written down that have come out of your mind, you take those as your prayer items. Now, one problem, and this is really could be an entire episode in and of itself, one problem with prayer is that we tend to think of prayer merely as requests. Prayer has to do with asking and asking only, or giving thanks to something that we asked. But prayer should really be much more than that. In the Bible, it's much more than that. Prayer is not only asking requests of God, it's also confessing our sins to God. It's also thanking Him for what He has done for us, but it's also adoring Him for who He is. And this is a, a missed opportunity for us in our Bible reading, because suppose we read something about God, such as John 3.16, that reveals to us how much God loves us. Well, we shouldn't only pray and thank God for loving us, but we should also worship Him in prayer by just considering what exactly it means that God Himself, Creator of heaven and earth, loves you and I, those who have rebelled and those who have sinned against Him, and continue to do so to our shame. Prayer connected to what we're reading sometimes doesn't happen as it should, but we have so much greater opportunity for it to happen as it should when we actually take a look at what it is we've written, what it is we've thought through, and then bring those thoughts captive to a life of dedicated prayer. This is something, frankly, that I don't do nearly as well as I should, and I have to remind myself of this. Hopefully, I'm reminding you of this, and it's resonating well with you, that these elements are not just termination points in and of themselves, but they get us to prayer. They give us fuel for the fire of prayer, and that's an amazing thing. So I hope you let these methods help you in your life. I hope that you'll see your prayer life connected to what you're reading in the Bible, not just by trying to memorize it all mentally, but by having a catalog physically right in front of you because you've been practicing active Bible reading with a pen in hand. Well, folks, thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Please feel free to go to betterbiblereading.com forward slash episode 48, where you can find the show notes to this episode. And feel free to leave me a review on iTunes for this podcast. Have you been helped if you have something to say about this episode in light of what I've been talking about? I would greatly appreciate your feedback and leaving me a review on iTunes as that is one of the best ways that you can help promote the show and get the word out to other people so that it can be found. Thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of your day.